started this series in First John called Loved to Love. John deals a lot with the topic of love, and so we want to continue that series today, looking at the first six verses of First John chapter 2. We're going slowly. I hope that's okay with you guys. I want to get as much as we can out of this. I'm kind of a slow mover through books. But again, I want to get as much as we can out of these. I, I, two, by two more announcements, you'll wonder my, uh, my family doesn't look to be with me today. My son Haddon is here, but uh, Janine and the rest of the kids are still at home. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, Adelaide was here sitting in the couch, and she fell off the couch and actually broke her collarbone. She's two and a half. So we had to take her to the ER and get a sling on her, and so she's doing fine. She's not really in pain. She has to wear a sling for four weeks. So we're taking a week off and getting letting her heal a little bit before she starts running around this building again. So, so Janine is back with the other children. Uh, my dad is also out of town. He's in Ohio doing one of his going on for God seminars and preaching this morning. So he sends his greeting, and that's why they are not here as well. So let's get into the book of 1 John, shall we? 1 John, again, it's 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. As, by way of a question this morning, have you ever had to prove something? Ever had to prove something? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, right? Ever taken a test? You have to prove you know something, right? Um, this world that we live in is now full of security, right? Security measures are big. Everybody wants passwords and fingerprints and iris scanners because they want to prove, have proof, that whoever is using their device is actually the right person, right? So that's an example of that as well. I want to share a couple stories of my life that I've had to prove things uh, one is rather silly, and the other one's not quite as silly, but still silly. Uh, the first one is, uh, when I was about 10 years old, we had this babysitter watching me and my two siblings, and uh, my parents were out of town or something, and it was a Sunday, and I wasn't feeling well that Sunday, and uh, we went to the morning service, and I was doing okay, but I really wasn't feeling well, and this was back in the days when people had night services. You guys remember those, when there was like a 5.30, 6 o'clock service, and you kind of did the everything over again? Well, I wasn't feeling well, and I told the babysitter this. I'm, I'm not feeling well. I shouldn't go to night service. Well, when you hear a 10-year-old say that, you're probably skeptical, right? And she was very skeptical. She looked at me and said, I think you're fine. You know, you're not, you're not getting out of church. We're going to church. Get your clothes on. Let's get this thing done. I was like, I'm not feeling good. And she goes, I think you're going to be okay. It's like, okay. So I got, my, I got my clothes on, and we went to get in the car. This poor woman. So there were four of us, you know, including the babysitter, and um, my sister sat up front with the babysitter, and my brother and I sat in the back, and as soon as this babysitter got into the front seat and went to put the key in the ignition, me sitting right behind her, I projectile vomited all over this poor woman's head. And it's a really crass thing to share in a pulpit, but uh, I proved to this woman I was, I was sick. Really hard to fake something like that, isn't that? This poor woman. You know what happened? I, she never babysat us ever again. It's like, what's her issue? <laughs> so that was one evidence of something in my life that I had to prove something to someone, unfortunately. Um, I want to share a couple other stories very quickly. My, I want to share something with you before I share the stories. Is my lifelong best friend is here and his wife. Josh, would you just kind of wave your hand or stand up? And there's, yeah, and there's his lovely wife, Danielle, next to him. Josh has been my friend for about, what, 25 years or something like that. That's a long time to have a friend. And Josh and I have gone through a lot together, uh, a lot of good and funny memories. Um, Josh is one of those friends that can call me out on things. You know, you don't have a lot of those people that, it, but if you, if you have someone who's really close, someone can come alongside you and say, you're messing up, or that's not right, or don't do that. Well, Josh is one of those people in my life. I don't listen to many that way, 
But I will listen to Josh because Josh has a lot of wisdom. He knows me very well. There were two times, and maybe you don't even remember this, Josh, that you had to call me out for being a fraud. The first one is when I was probably in, uh, let's see, my late teens, early 20s. I told Josh that I liked writing. I was a writer. It was one of the things I really enjoyed doing. I really liked writing. In fact, even today, I like writing. And Josh asked me this question. He goes, oh, you like to write? I didn't know that, Todd. What kind of things do you write? I said, well, I'm not writing currently. I, uh, I, I, like, I like the idea of writing. I like writing. He goes, well, Todd, you're not really a writer then. <laughs> he goes, uh, as only a friend could say, writers write, Todd. If you're not writing, you're not a writer. I said, well, I, I like the idea of writing. He goes, well, it's not right. that's not a writer. A writing actually puts words on paper. And so I said, from that point on, I called myself a communication specialist. Uh, so Josh, thanks for calling me out on that. Even to this day, I, I like the idea of writing, but don't write very much. Um, second of all, even more amusing, Josh, I found out really early on in my friendship with Josh that he was really into golf. Josh is a big golfer. Are you still an avid golfer, Josh? When I can get out. Okay. So once a year? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Josh and I, I, you know, I realized Josh was into golf and my family and I were starting to get into golf. I was golfing with my brother and my father. The only problem is when I went with my family, we went golfing around one of these little, you know, podunk courses around where we live, and we implemented what was called walker rules into golf. Um, in walker rules, if you don't really like the shot you hit, you just hit it again, and you don't count the stroke. If you hit it into the woods, you just find the ball closest to the hole and call it yours. Uh, if you hit it into a tree, just kind of kick it out and just act like nothing happened. So playing walker rules golf, I was a pretty good golfer. Um, I told Josh, I think my handicap is around seven or eight. He goes, are you serious? We got to go golfing sometime. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I go golfing with Josh for the first time and I, I start playing my version of Walker rules golf. You know, I hit the shot. It went way into the woods. I just teed it up again. And Josh is like, didn't you hit already? It's like, yeah, I didn't like that one. He goes, okay. <laughs> but he kept noticing a trend, you know, every time the ball would go into the woods or in the pond or it, next to a tree, just saw me kick it out and He'd ask me at the end of the hole, Todd, what did you get on that hole? I was like, I think I got a five. He's like, a five? I think you were a five before you got into the bunker. <laughs> and he goes, Todd, what are we doing here? What is this thing you're doing here? And I go, I'm playing golf. He goes, no, this isn't golf. He goes, you're playing some made-up version of golf. I said, Josh, can't we just golf? He goes, the problem, Todd, is we're not golfing. You're made up, you made up some version of golf and calling it a golf, but it's actually not golf. Do you remember that? called me out for not being a golfer. And I am a golfer, Josh. Just not in the sense that you think. So Josh had to call me out and tell me that I was not a golfer. I was a Walker Rules version of golfer and very, very different. My handicap that day was like in the 30s and 40s or something like that after Josh started counting all of my strokes. But I appreciate Josh's friendship because he called me out for being a fraud on two different occasions. Uh, I am a pastor, though, Josh. I'm pastor and I preach. Uh, so. so the question today, again, is have, have you ever had to prove something? We're going to talk about obedience today, okay? Obedience, and we're going to look at it from the angle of two things. Obedience is proof, and obedience is life. Last time, if you were here last week, we talked about the difference between light and darkness. And uh, John gave us a very uh, on-point talk about the difference between these two things, and they were very contrasted in Scripture that you can't say you fellowship with God and walk in darkness because God is only light. And so we talked about that last week, how, a, how big of a difference that is. And this week, 
John is going to bring up this idea of obedience. Obedience to the commandments of Christ, obedience to God. And I want to talk about obedience today. And if I'm honest, obedience kind of gets a bad rap. When you hear the word obedience, if you're anything like me, you kind of go, oh, man, chores? This guy's going to talk about chores for 40 minutes or so. I don't really want to talk about obedience. It's not one of those things you look forward to. And obedience, unfortunately, gets a very bad rap. And I want to seek if we can, see if we can change that today, change your perspective on obedience. And I have a goal for today, and I want to show you our goal here on the screen. I have three different things I want to hopefully put forward today and make clear to us. Number one, our goal for today is to have the proof and confidence that we have an advocate and a propitiation for our sins. And we will pause and talk about those two words. But our first goal is that we have proof and confidence that we have an advocate and a propitiation for our sins. And that proof is obedience. Okay? Number two goal for today, to live in a way that pleases the Lord, which is also obedience. You're going to notice a thread and a theme here. And number three, to desire to obey. To desire to obey for the sake of the Lord and the sake of our own sake. Okay, so that's our goal as we make our way through this lesson today. Josh also did something growing up. Josh got me into a show called Columbo. Still like Columbo? Anyone watch Columbo? Anybody seen Columbo's? Those are, yeah, they're old. They're like from the 70s or whatever. But Columbo's not really a, a whodunit because you find out right away when you're watching this, the first Columbo's uh, who the killer is. You find that initially. You watch the scene happen and you find out immediately who the killer is. So the show is not a whodunit. The entire show is Columbo figuring out how to trap this person in their sin. And so Columbo, if you're watching him, he's kind of disheveled and kind of a mess. But he has such a quick mind, he immediately attaches himself onto the killer and says, I know who the killer is, but he can't just like come out with it right away because even in a courtroom setting, you have to have something called proof or evidence. So the, the entire time during the scene of Columbo, he is trying to find hard evidence to capture the guy in their crime. Even though he has a strong inkling of who it is, he has to find that hard evidence. And so obedience, as we talk about it today, is that hard evidence. That hard evidence that we are who we think we are. And so I want you to understand that today. And the first thing we're going to look at today is obedience is John's message. And if you read the book of 1 John, he goes over this over and over and over. He doesn't let you up on this one point. That obedience is so crucial to the Christian life. And uh, by way of bullet points here, I want to look at five different things that obedience is based on this and based on the scripture in whole. Obedience to Jesus. The first one is proof of our authenticity as a Christ follower. It's hard evidence. Hard evidence that we are actually Christ's. You guys ever had to prove that you were an employee of somewhere? Um, back in uh, Clark's Summit, they have this restaurant called Moe's, and you guys have it here too. Moe's had this thing where they had a Clark Summit University discount. So when I worked at Clark Summit University, I can get a discount by going to Moe's. But every time I went there, they would card you and say, I got to see your employee identification to make sure you're an employee so you can actually get the discount. So I had to show them my ID. So the first one is obedience is the proof that we are actually in God's family, or if you'll humor me, an employee of God. Obedience proves that we are who we think we are. Number two. Obedience is the evidence of walking in the light and going on the right path. So this is even more than just, I belong to God. This is, you're doing your job. Not only do you work there, not only are you in his family, but you're doing your job. 
Obedience proves that you're doing the right thing. The next one, obedience is the well of complete eternal joy. I hope you guys believe that, and if not, I hope you believe that by the end of this lesson, that obedience is the well of complete and eternal joy. It's the path to eternal riches. That if you get to the other side and the Lord finds out that you were obedient to Jesus Christ, to his son, the kingdom is yours. The inheritance is yours because you followed his son. You loved his son, and that's the key into the kingdom of God is you belonging to Jesus. And obedience, once again, is the proof of that. Next, obedience is our basis of fellowship with the Father. Once again, broken record here. This is how you know you believe in Jesus, because you know John 3.16, right? Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And the question you have to ask yourself is, how do I know I believe? How do I know that I actually believe in Jesus? The answer to that question is very simple. Obedience. If you can obey, if you want to obey, if you do obey, you believe. And lastly, obedience is how we love the Lord. How we love the Lord. You remember the first commandment God ever gave us, the most important commandment he ever gave us, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obedience is how. Learn from God, learn from Jesus, and then implement that into your life because Jesus knows best how to please God. And you may have to remember the title of our series here is Loved to Love. We have been loved for a purpose, and that purpose is to love God. So obedience is our role. Obedience is our role in the covenant with God. God does so many things for us. He saves us. He teaches us. He protects us. He provides for us. He chastens us when we go the wrong way. All of these things that God does. And then he has one role for you and I. Obey. Obey. Listen to what I've taught you. Listen to what I show you that is important to me. And put that into practice. Just like you said, Patrick. Apply it. Make it a part of your life. So that's the first thing we want to look at is what obedience is. The next thing, if you flip it around, we've got to understand what disobedience is. Disobedience is proof also, except this time it's proof that we really don't love the Lord. When you don't obey, you disbelieve. You prove that you don't believe. You don't have any proof, you don't have any hard evidence that you actually love the Lord. And several times into these sermons, I implement my own um, testimony. For a long period of my time in life, I called myself a Christian, but I didn't have any hard evidence of that. I would just hope that by watching me and listening to you, you would just take me at my word. I would just tell you I was a Christian, and you'd go, okay, he's a Christian. But if you looked at my life and how I lived and how I functioned, you wouldn't see the proof and the evidence of that, unfortunately. So if you based, if you based my life on my proof, it would prove that I did not believe in Jesus because I didn't listen and I didn't obey. And that's what disobedience is first and foremost. Proof that we don't love the Lord. Do you guys know all throughout Scripture it says in the last day we are going to be judged according to our works? Think about that. We are going to be judged by the Lord of the universe according to our works. And that doesn't negate grace. Grace enables you to obey. And so God in the last day is not going to look at your testimony or your date in your Bible. He's not going to bring your parent up and say, when did they say the prayer? He's going to look at your works. Because by looking at the works, he can tell everything. If he sees obedience to Jesus Christ in your life as a practice and a theme, 
you're obviously a Christian. There's no way you would have done it. There's no way you would have wanted to do that without fellowship with the Lord Jesus. But if he looks at your life and sees disobedience as a practice and a theme of your life, that also proves something. You aren't who you think you are. And that's a really sobering thought, but we have to talk about that today. That God is going to look at our lifestyle, our works, and go, that's who they are. Whatever they did is who they are. Now, there's time and there's room for forgiveness in that process. God is going to forgive, and we're going to talk about that because John brings that up. He doesn't want us to slip the other way and go, wow, we have to be perfect then? No. But you have to have obedience as a practice of your life or there's no hard evidence. There's no proof to yourself and, more importantly, to God. Number two, if we're authentic Christ followers and we do have the hard evidence, John wants us to know today that if we sin, we have an advocate and a propitiation. Those are words we generally probably don't use in our given weeks. So I need to define what these words are. An advocate is someone who speaks on your behalf. John says that if you are a Christ follower, Jesus speaks to God on your behalf. He vouches for you. Jesus is your advocate. Isn't that cool to know? That Jesus goes into the Father and says, they're mine. I died for them. They follow me. Their sins have been washed. They've been cleansed. They're mine. They're pure. They're holy. But he's not just an advocate. John says he's the propitiation. Propitiation is payment for our debt. So the reason Jesus can vouch for us is because Jesus paid our debt. Because Jesus' language, even to God, isn't enough to cleanse us. There must be a payment for that debt. And Jesus is not only the advocate, not only does he speak, he also paid. He died on the cross. He gave his blood. He gave his body so that you and I could have payment for that debt that we owed to God. And John wants us to know today that if we slip and fall along the way of our Christian life, we have an advocate. We have a propitiation. We have someone speaking. We have someone who's paid. And so you are covered as long as you're in Christ. But we got to circle that phrase and remember that phrase today, in Christ. Because that's obedience. That's how you're in. That's how you know you're in. Under this, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is sufficient payment for all the sins of the entire world. Consider that thought. That Jesus' one act of sacrifice covers the sins of the entire world, or better yet, is sufficient to cover it. Um, my favorite preacher of all time, you know who that is, Josh? Who's my favorite preacher of all time? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I told you, he's my best friend. Um, named my son after Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon had this one illustration the one time that I've always thought about. He said when he first got to London, he was very saddened because he looked around and saw a lot of homeless people, a lot of people who were orphans and struggling and didn't have any food and housing and stuff like that, and it really depressed Spurgeon. So he would walk around sometimes and get a very bad perspective about London going, this place is a pit. It's a dump. Where is there enough food to feed all of these people? But then sometimes Spurgeon would make his way to another part of the town where there were all these markets. Market after market after market, after market. And Spurgeon said, on those days, when he'd walk around the markets, where are there enough people to have all this food? And so Spurgeon looked at this, and it changed his perspective. And he said, that's kind of how it is with Christ. You look at the sins of the whole world and go, how is there enough payment anywhere for the sins of the world that we live upon? It's so dark. It's so evil. It's so wicked, isn't it? But then you look to Jesus. 
you look to Jesus by faith in the scripture and you go, where is there enough sin to demand such a cost? Such sufficiency as Jesus Christ. And John wants us to know today that Jesus is sufficient to pay for all the sins of the entire world for all time. That's how valuable Jesus is. As long as you and I remain in Christ and keep following him, our sins are washed away. We have total, eternal cleansing. (laughs) Wow, what a promise that if you and I remain in Christ, we're covered, we're washed, we're cleansed, and he's sufficient. He's our advocate, he's our propitiation. But nextly, we need to understand this distinction. Unfortunately, sufficient to pay for and application of that payment are very different things. Let me illustrate this for you. Haddon the other day asked me this. He said, Dad, do we have enough money to buy this toy that I want? I thought that was a very strange question. Do we have enough money to buy this toy we want? And I said, technically, yes, Haddon. We have the money to buy the toy that you want. He goes, oh, and he put it in the cart. (laughs) And I said, Haddon, wait a minute. I said, I didn't answer, I answered the question, but I, I didn't give you permission to put it in the cart. He said, you just said we had enough money. I said, yes, we do have enough money to pay for the toy, but that doesn't mean you're getting the toy. Because Haddon had a confusion. He thought that sufficient to pay for and the application of the payment were exactly the same thing, and they're not. Just because Jesus is sufficient to pay for, you and I must have the application of that payment. And so that's what we're talking about today that you and I must know that we have an advocate, that we have a propitiation, that you and I have the cleansing and the washing that we need in order to enter God's courts. So that's kind of the goal today. Let's move to number three. How? How do we know we have the advocate? This is really important. I need you to really sink your mind into this. How do you and I know that we have the advocate? How do we know that the application of Christ's payments is on my account and on your account today? We're going to answer this today. The the answer, I'm going to give you right away. I'm not going to do the Columbo thing. I'm going to give it to you right away. Obedience to Jesus. Right there. Right there is how you know that you have the advocate, Christ speaking on your behalf, and the application of Christ's payment. See, you and I cannot afford to guess. You cannot, and I cannot afford to guess that we have the payment. That's not good enough. You can't put your eternal soul into a strong guess. Because what if you're wrong? What if you get to the other side and Christ says to you, I don't know who you are. You thought I belong to you, but I don't know who you are. Who are you? You didn't follow me. You didn't listen to me. You didn't know my commands. You didn't obey them. You didn't love. And we will go, wait a minute, Lord. I remember what I did, the thing. I remember when I said the prayer. I remember going to church. So guessing is not good enough. We need to know. We need to have hard evidence. I taught this song to my children uh, the other day. Really had nothing to do with the sermon. It's just one of those things that came up. You know, I like teaching my uh, children new songs. And you guys remember the song from when you were little called Obedience, except it was spelled out? No one remember that? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Does anyone remember that? The song goes that. He says, it spells out the word obedience. It says O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. And then it says, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Isn't that cool? I would sing it, but I would, wow, that would not go well. We would not put that on the recording. Um, but think about that. That's, that's the proof. And the, the first bullet under this is keeping the commandments of Christ is the proof. 
that you and I have him as our advocate and our payment, and that his payment is being applied to our account. You guys ever get a statement of proof from the bank? Obedience is that statement of proof. That when you and I obey, we have the statement of proof that we have Christ's payment. Our debt has been wiped clean. We owe God zero by obedience. That's the statement of proof. Number two, anyone who tries to claim that Jesus is their advocate and that his righteousness is applied to their account without obedience to Christ's commands, John brings us up, is lying. It can't happen. Unless you have obedience, unless you have the proof, your claims are fraudulent. Just like I told Josh, I'm a writer, I'm a golfer. You're not because you don't write and you don't play golf. Well, if we don't have obedience, we're not following Jesus. We're not. Nor do we know him. Because the first thing the Holy Spirit does when you turn to Jesus Christ is he tells you how important it is to listen to and obey Jesus. As soon as you trust in Christ, that's the message you hear over and over and over. Follow him. Obey him. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your king. From now on, you do as he says. That's the first thing you learn. So if you and I can slip out of that and found a loophole to not obeying the commandments of Christ, that's a really scary place to be because we don't have the proof. Obedience is how you check your eternal account. It's the bank statement. It shows you what's in your account. Now, again, I need to make this clear. Obedience is not the payment. Obedience proves that you have the payment. Is that clear? I don't want anybody walking out of this going, that guy thinks we have to obey in order to earn God's favor. That's not what I'm saying. Obedience is the proof that you have Christ's payment upon your account. Number three under this is whoever does keep the Lord's commandments, listen to what John says, God's love is truly perfected in them. God's perfect love, God's full payment of our sins, God's complete forgiveness, the fact that you and I are children of God is made clear by obeying his commandments. If you do that one thing, everything is true and certain about you. That is good. We can't earn God's perfected love. We cannot at all. We are given that by grace, but we do have to evidence it by our total surrender and obedience to Jesus. And I hope this is elementary, guys. I really do. Because this really isn't the point. We're going to get to something here. I want to show you exactly what the commandments are. But unless I teach this and talk about this, we need to get on the same page in order to obey, in order to consider how important obedience is. Because you need to understand this today. Obedience is crucial. It's essential. No obedience equates no salvation. And I had to really swallow that pill when I was age 26 year old. I don't have obedience? Jesus says, then you have no salvation. You haven't turned to me. You haven't trusted in me. You haven't found me. You haven't been saved from your sins. Because when that happens, a total profound change happens in your life. And obedience becomes obvious. But before, it wasn't obvious. I was like, you know what? If Christ is going to pay my account, then I'm going to live however I want. And he'll just cover me on the last day. And the Lord said, that is not how it works, Todd. Read my scripture. You will never find that. Once you turn to Christ, he becomes your Lord and your master. And that's the next point, is walking and living like Jesus. Look at verse 6 of 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When we say yes to Christ and to his salvation, we also say yes to submitting to him as Lord. It's a package deal. If you and I do not accept both Christ's salvation and his lordship, then we don't have either. They're a package deal that can't be separated. You can't take the forgiveness and leave the lordship. You take them both. You take them both. They both become yours. From that point on, if you do, Jesus becomes your master. And it makes obedience to Jesus incredibly essential. And I hope a delight. And we're going to talk about this at the end, that Jesus is our Savior. He's your Savior. He's my Savior. It needs to be very personal for you. It doesn't just to be, hey, this is the church I go to, or this is the God that I worship. He needs to be your God. You need to want to serve him. And we're going to talk about how important that is here in a little bit. But a heart that isn't firm on the truth that we need to follow Christ and trust in Christ, I don't believe the Holy Spirit has come into because that is so elementary. It is. And once I understood that, once I realized that, it became so obvious. The light bulb came on over my head and said, of course, of course I have to obey Christ. This isn't optional. But for a long time, probably 20 years, I thought it was optional. I thought you could do it when you wanted to, or you could do it when it was convenient to, or you could do it as, as soon as you matured and learned and got your life figured out. And the Lord says, it's not optional, Todd. If I'm your Savior, I'm your Lord, and you need to follow me. And the first thing the Spirit told me right then is, get up. Get up and follow your king. Follow your master. And the last thing under this point is following Jesus means to go the very same direction he went. If I ever tell you, follow me in my car, and I go right out of this parking lot and you go left, you've messed up. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, learn where I go. Learn what I do and then do that. Do that. Make that a part of your life. See, this book we have called the Bible, that's 66 books of divine revelation, is the blueprint and the directions to go the way Jesus wants us to go. So you and I can know. We don't have to guess. I don't have to assume that what I'm doing lines up with God's will. That's not good enough. I need to know from Scripture that this is the right way. And the best way to do that is look to Jesus. Remember the old saying, what would Jesus do? It's pretty good, actually. What would Jesus do? How did Jesus live? What did Jesus talk about? What did Jesus consider important? What did he avoid? What did he say was evil? And then make that a part of your life. It's that simple, and yet I know it's not an easy process. But if you line up behind Jesus Christ and you follow his commandments, which we're going to talk about right here in a second, you're following him, which means you're of him, which means you're going the right way, which means on the last day you should have confidence that you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. With our last time, I want to talk about the commandments because this is the whole point. I've heard messages on obedience. I've heard messages on how important it is to obey the commandments and then it ends. And you're left wondering, okay, now what? What are the commandments? What do I need to obey? And I want to not let anyone be foggy like it was in my drive here. It was very foggy in the road, and my son hadn't even noticed it, going, wow, it's incredibly foggy. I don't want anyone leaving this going, that was kind of foggy. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what we're supposed to obey. This, we're going to spend the rest of our time here on what are the commandments of Jesus Christ.
Because in order to obey, we must first know what is expected. And I have five children, so I know what that is like. That if I tell my son something to do, I need to make it very clear. Haddon, I would like you to clean up your toys in your bedroom. Sometimes I lay it out very, very clear for him. Because he goes, wait, what? I thought you were talking to all of us. I thought you were talking to, you know, general toys. No, Haddon, your toys in your bedroom, clean them up. And that's what we're going to talk about today is looking at the commandments of Jesus Christ. This probably won't shock you, but it is weird that 75% of Americans claim they're Christians. 75%, three of every four say, I follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If three of every four followed Jesus Christ in this country, do you think this country would look a little bit better than it does right now? Come on. 75% of people do not follow Jesus Christ, but 75% of Americans think they follow Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point. They've been duped. They've been tricked. They've accepted one part of it and ditched the rest. And we can't do that. We need to know today when we walk out of these doors, I do follow or I need to start following Jesus Christ. Because obedience is very essential. And this world, unfortunately, has such a low and confusing bar of Christianity. We need to clear that up. We need to clear that up. So the commandments, number one, our lives need to resemble his. Plain and simple. We need to look like Jesus. We need to function and to speak and to obey like Jesus obeyed his father. And not to play a guessing game, because a guessing game is incredibly deadly. And number two, our lives need to be filled with obedience to his specific commandments. In other words, you and I need to have God's DNA. If you're of God and I'm of God, we need to have his DNA. And once again, the answer to the question is obedience. What is God's DNA? It's obedience. Jesus says in John 14 that I had Patrick read. John 15, actually. John 15 says, Jesus obeyed his Father, and therefore we need to obey him similarly. So, this is the point. We're going to talk about the commandments here in a second. I'll give you another illustration. When we had our twins, they were uh, premature by like five or six weeks. The twins were premature. And so, they had to stay in this thing called the NICU in the hospital where they take care of them. They can't, they're not ready to come home. So the twins have to be watched over for several weeks. So they were there probably a month and a half or two months. It was a long time. But as a, as a parent of, a, of newly born twins, I had a couple concerns. My first concern is that uh, we were gonna mix the twins up. They're twins, they look identical. I mean, they're identical twins. And my problem is, as I thought we were gonna mix them up at some point, like you did kind of with the SATs, you ever do that with the SATs? You get one off and then they're all wrong. <laughs> I thought that when, you know, we, we told about this, we said before, if the first one that comes out, he's going to be Titus, and the second one is going to be Levi. And I said, okay, we know that. But what happens if after that we mix them up, and Levi becomes Titus, and Titus becomes Levi? So I told Janine, we, we got to mark them or something. <laughs> Grab that Sharpie and put a T on their forehead. And uh, Janine goes, that's not a good idea. But you know what was interesting? Titus came out of the womb with no hair, kind of like Daddy right now. And he had a blue dot on his head. And at first we thought it was a bruise, but it never went away. It looks kind of like a bruise. It's just a dot. And Titus had a blue dot on his head. It's almost like God said, boom, Titus. I don't know. I don't know if it's a birth birthmark or whatever it is. But every time we needed to know which was which, we looked and go, oh, there's Titus. <laughs> so even now, if we mixed them up, we can go search. Um, which one are you? 
But my second concern was this. They're in the NICU for five to six weeks, and I talked to the doctor, and he said he had two or three sets of twins that he was delivering this month. And so I was very concerned, going, what if they mix up the kids? You know, what if we go home with someone else's twins and they go home with ours? You know, and Janine goes, these are silly. That's not going to happen. I said, well, we need to watch. We need to make sure. And, and you know how we did that is, I know it's stupid, but I, I actually started to look for similarities in the twins with myself and my, my family. And the comforting thing is I found them pretty quickly. <laughs> Their heads are gigantic. <laughs> so are my families. <laughs> and that actually brought me some comfort <laughs> to go, oh, they're ours. They also had, you know, the same mannerisms. They also, now that we know them, they're four years old. They, their senses of humor are very off the wall. So is mine. So I realized that was a comforting thing to me, to see that my twins actually belong to us. And that's kind of the point today is that so you and I can know we belong to God and God belongs to us so that we can have his DNA. Not to gain the DNA, but to know that we have it because the way that you gain it is simply by turning to Jesus. What are the commandments? Let's look at this now. What are they and where can they be found? Because there is confusion on this today. I want to start where the scripture sort of starts. If you read the scripture, it makes these uh, two commandments very prominent. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the most important commandments. That's not going to surprise you. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The scripture calls that either the law of God, the law of love, or the law of liberty. Three different things calling the exact same commandments. And the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second one is similar to it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the two overarching commandments that you find in Scripture. That all the other commandments that you and I need to know fall under those two commandments. I'm going to illustrate this here. That's probably why you're wondering why this is on stage. I'm going to flip this around at some point and show you exactly what I'm talking about. But let's make our way through this. So those are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And really that translation means love him with everything, with everything, with everything, and with everything. In case you mix it up. Love him with everything. And then he says the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the same love you give to yourself, give that to your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. And the interesting thing about these commandments is every other commandment falls underneath these two. So if you learn these two, you've learned them all. But Scripture goes on and describes and unravels these two so that you and I know how best specifically to obey them. And this next one, falling under the two, are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a, a law that was given from God to Moses to give to his people. And he said, put these on stone tablets. In fact, God wrote it with his own finger. On the stone tablets and said, this is my law. This is what I want my people to know. And unfortunately, there's some people that think the law, this law has been done away with. It hasn't, guys, because if you look at the Ten Commandments, which we're going to do here in a second, all it is is a further unraveling of the two. And let's look at them, okay? You guys probably know these, at least I hope you do. But I want you to think about this today, that these Ten Commandments are not new, they're not different, they're just a further unraveling of the first two commandments. The first one, let's look at it. You shall have no other gods before me, or besides me, God says. You know what that one is? You know what that one falls underneath? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There it is. Further unraveled for you. 
Number two, do not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, and you shall not bow down to them and serve them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not new, just further explained. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Be very careful how you use God's name. His name drives everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then we have a weird one, the Sabbath. Right? This is where everyone gets confused and go, oh, it must have passed away because look how weird that one is. Well, the Sabbath I still think is for today, but here's the problem. People think the Sabbath is kind of like, it kind of change you down and go, oh, that's not freeing, that's not liberating. Well, the problem with the Sabbath is it's very confused because it says in the New Testament that Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift to you and I so that you and I can get the rest that we need so that you and I can function according to the commandments of God. That if you and I don't have that rest, I can attest to this. If I don't rest, I'm not very good. I'm not very efficient in my job. So the Sabbath is for you. It's not to have a lot of thou shalt nots on the Sabbath. He says, keep it holy. Keep it different. Rest. Get your bearings so that you can get up in full strength and obey the commandments. And it's stuck there right in the middle before he transitions. And the next one, we transition to the second commandment. Honor your father and your mother. I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the last one, you shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor. Six of them, all unraveled to tell us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does murder love your neighbor? Does stealing their stuff love your neighbor? Does coveting what belongs to them love your neighbor? Absolutely not. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the Ten Commandments fall under the two. They're not different. They're not set apart. They are the same. They're just further unraveled and better described for you. But the scripture goes on. The next one is Jesus' teachings. Jesus, you get to the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Jesus starts taking the Ten Commandments and changing them. Doing something with them? Well, he's not. Actually, Jesus, what he's doing when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is further unraveling the Ten Commandments because he says things like this. You heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And the Pharisees thought it was the letter of the law. Just simply don't take anyone's life and you're obedient. And Jesus goes, actually, it's actually way more than that. Do not hate. Do not hate your brother because I equate hate and murder. That was mind-blowing. It was like, what? Hate and murder are the same to Jesus? Yes. So not only can you not murder, you can't hate. He said the same thing about adultery. You heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's taking the Ten Commandments and he's further unraveling it so that you know best how to love the Lord and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus' teachings all throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are doing that exact thing. Taking God's old, ancient, tried and true commandments and explaining them better for you. So that you're not in the dark. So that you can't say, it was a little foggy on that, Christ. Oh, really? That's what it was about? I didn't know. Jesus goes, no, you're going to know. You're going to know. Read my Gospels and you will know exactly what the law means and what it's about. 
And then we have one last one. All the commandments in the entire New Testament. This is the New Covenant. We can't mess this one up. This one is for us. They are even a further unraveling of the teachings of Jesus. Do you see what's happening here? He's taking the two. He's breaking them apart, breaking them apart, breaking them apart. But, as I'm going to illustrate here, let me turn this around without dropping it. You guys are going to see how great a drawer I am. Such a gift. I tried to draw like an umbrella, like an arch, and that is the best I got. Okay, I'm sorry if you can't see that exactly, but here's basically what we're illustrating today, okay? There are two overarching commandments. Number one is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, but it's love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Ten Commandments fall underneath the two. The teachings of Jesus fall underneath the ten. And the New Testament fall underneath the teachings of Jesus. But guess what? None of these are different. None of them. They're all love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you see that? That and those are the commandments that you and I are supposed to obey today. And I don't want anyone confused. Now, there is a way to confuse this. You can go, well, wait a minute. What about the law of Moses? What about circumcision and dietary restrictions and observing special days? Well, that one has passed. That one was for a very specific time for the people of God, and that one is not needed any longer. So don't let anyone hold you to that kind of stuff. But the moral law of God is permanent and eternal. You can't say the Ten Commandments don't apply to today, therefore I can murder and commit adultery. So look at it this way. Look at it that they're the same commandments, just further unraveled so that you and I aren't foggy, so that we know very, very clear what God expects of us. But there's still the two greatest commandments. The three perspectives I want us to have today very quickly are these. And you've got to use all three. I need to make that very clear. We need every single one of these perspectives with obedience. The first one is obey because you get to. Obey because you get to. It's the best thing for us. God, when he says obey my commandments, is giving us the best treasure we've ever received. Because when we obey the commandments of God, we walk in the light, we follow Jesus Christ, and we invest eternally. And I hope you realize that. That when God says obey me, he's not taking your joy away. On the contrary, he's trying to grant you the most joy you've ever experienced. And so obey because you get to. Or it's a privilege to, because you and I, the fact that you and I can obey today is a miracle. I'm going to be honest. It's a miracle. That you and I can walk in the light today and be of God today is a miracle. So don't look at it like it's a chore. Don't look at it like it's taking out the garbage or mowing the lawn or anything you don't like to do. Obeying the Lord Jesus Christ should be a privilege because obedience to Jesus gives more joy than money, sex, success, and anything the world can give you combined. And I promise you that because I've tried it. Taste and see that the Lord is good and you will not go back. Obey, obey because you get to. The next one, a little bit heavier, but we need it. Obey because you have to. It's not optional. Obedience is not optional. To not obey the Lord is to not follow Jesus. Think about how weighty that is. To not obey him is to not follow him. And if you're not in the refuge of Jesus Christ, you're on your own with your sins when the wrath of God comes. So disobedience to Jesus equates eternal death. That's why I titled this lesson, Obedience is Life. Because it's the right path. John, we just talked about that from 1 John chapter 1. Walking in the light. 
We talked about last week, you can't go north and south at the same time, right? You've got to go one or the other. Obedience is how you go the right direction, and disobedience is how you go the wrong direction. I think I, we could bring the children in here. They can understand this lesson today. It's not that profound. It's very elementary, but it's incredibly important. So and under number two, we need to have something called the fear of God. We need to keep the fear of God because the fear of God is one of those things that when you go, well, I don't really feel like obeying, you know? I disagree. I disagree that uh, the, and following the Lord Jesus brings more joy than the world. Therefore, I'm going to sink my teeth into what the world has. That's when the fear of the Lord should come to you and say, you cannot. It's not optional. You cannot break my commandments. You cannot follow these sins because it is incredibly dangerous. And that's when the fear of God should come to you and say, no, slap your hand. Sometimes like I do with my children. Okay, I, I, tried to, I tried to spit it in a positive way to say you should clean up your toys. And now I'm saying you must clean your toys. You must. It's not optional. And so obey because you have to. Because even this, though, if you have the right perspective, is love. Because God is saving your soul by doing that. Because if you don't listen to these perspectives and you do follow your sins, you can find eternal death. And God will not have that for you. He spilled the blood of his son so that you could have life. He is not going to let you follow your sins to death. So obey because you have to. And the last one, which I hope is the best one, is obey because you get to love Jesus. If you realize how valuable and precious Jesus is, you should have this in your mind and your soul today. I want to. Whatever would love my Lord. Tell me what it is, Lord. Show me what it is, Lord. I want to love you now because the theme of 1 John is loved to love. So the question you and I need to ask today, do you want to love Jesus? Not just are you. Do you want to? Because I don't think just duty-based obedience is going to be enough to keep us. The world is very attractive. It has a lot of friends. It has a lot of shiny objects. If you and I eventually find our joy in something that's not the Lord, we're eventually going to chase it. So you and I have to not only obey, we have to want to obey. And that's the whole point of today. Jesus spilled his blood for you so you could avoid the wrath of God. He's precious. He's precious. Do you believe that? If Jesus isn't precious to you today, then there is some really big questions you need to ask. Why isn't he precious? See, that was my problem with my whole testimony, is not only why am I not obeying, but I had to go deeper than that. Why don't I want to? Why don't I want to obey? Because I didn't. I wanted the church thing to be over, I wanted Christianity to be less, and I wanted to go more towards the world. And the Lord says, wait a minute, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I am toward you to you? Do you know that I protect you and provide for you, even when you're not thanking me for it? Do you know that I'm everything good in your life? Everything you get joy from this world is a reflection of Christ. It's a shadow. Christ is the reality. So obey because you can love Jesus. I hope you want to give Jesus a present and a gift. You can. Your life. Give Jesus your life. The application very quickly. We're going to end here very shortly. Number one is do you love, do you want to love the Lord with your life? As I just mentioned. Do you want to love the Lord with your life? If so, do you know and are you practicing his commandments? 
because Jesus knows how best to love him. Listen to him. He's right. He knows what he's talking about. This passage from Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Jesus does not want your house to collapse. Build your house upon the rock. Number two, have you given the Lord a blank check yet? You know what that's like, right? For those of us who still use checks or know what that's like, when you give someone a blank check, you let them fill in the amount. I've never done that. I don't know why anyone would, but have you given the Lord a blank check? Have you let the Lord decide what your life looks like? What things you get to do, what things you get to not do? That's what happens when you and I desire to follow the Lord as he says, I want a blank check. I want a blank check. I want to know I have you at all times, no matter what, hard or easy. And the way we need to end this tonight is consider Jesus' pattern of obedience to his Father. And I just want to end with this passage, so don't even worry about the last points. I just want to end with this uh, one passage. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Can we go to the next screen? I don't have that passage before me. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, excuse me, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, listen to this, by becoming obedient to who? The Father. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the part in red there? Jesus obeyed too, his Father. He did it to the point of death. He did it to the point of death on a cross. Nothing took Jesus away from obedience. And obedience to Jesus is life. And I hope you'll understand that today. Obeying Jesus is both how we love the Lord and it's our guarantee of heavenly citizenship that we have God's DNA. And if you do obedience for any reason today, do it for Jesus' sake because he's worthy of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Where would we be without it? We would all guess and wander aimlessly. We would all consider ourselves to be good and righteous and moral and upright. And yet your word teaches us so many things. Not only our need for a savior, but also how to go the right way. And you remove us from our chains and you give us new life and new loves and new hates and new power so that we can do what we never were able to do before. I pray that you'd help us understand that today, how important it is to be obedient to Jesus. And I hope we have the right perspective that we should want to because of how precious he is and how much he's done for us and is still doing for us. Father, help us all get there. Help us to be unified in this one goal, to make Jesus our Lord and Master because he's our Savior. I pray and thank you for this today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.